0: Using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 894. In 1994, the world experienced a very terrible tragedy. In 1994, the African country of Rwanda was brought to its knees through an awful genocide of its people. What made it worse was that the genocide was not from another country but was an internal civil war genocide the hutu tribe which was the minority majority excuse me the majority ethnic group of the country slaughtered the members of the tutsi tribe the ethnic minority of the country Most records hold that the genocide lasted for approximately 100 days, over which 800,000 people lost their lives. The obvious question then becomes, how can a country continue as a country after such an atrocity? The country created what they called the National Unity and Reconciliation Commission, which was established in 1999 with the goal of reconstructing the Rwandan identity. But how could that happen after such evil? How could a country move forward in any sense of unity after an internal genocide of such proportions? How could they move into the future with the weight of their past being so strong? Two things in particular that the Rwandans did save their country the first was that the government enacted what they call Gacaca courts these were community courts set up to clear the backlog of crimes committed against people they met in villages across the country and one of the main aims of the Gacaca was to achieve truth justice and reconciliation among Rwandans. gakaka means to sit down and discuss an issue. The hearings gave communities a chance to face the accused and give evidence about what really happened and how it happened. They realized there needed to be a place where the truth could be declared to those who had committed such violent acts. They also created programs like the one described here. Small groups that are counseled over many months, culminating in the perpetrator's formal request for forgiveness. If forgiveness is granted by the survivor, the perpetrator and his family and friends typically bring a basket of offerings, usually food and sorghum or banana beer. The accord is sealed with song and dance. Again, the question, how can a country move on from such an atrocity? But there is a clear pattern that we see demonstrated in the reconstruction and maintain unity of Rwanda. Notice we don't have today a north and south Rwanda. It's still one country. For the people of Rwanda to not be enslaved to the atrocities of their past, there had to be truth spoken. And from there, there had to be confession of that wrong. And finally, there had to be, out of that confession, sincere and true forgiveness. Now, that same pattern that we saw in the aftereffects of the Rwandan genocide, that same pattern exists in our text of John today. We are going to see a call to speak the truth. We are going to see our need to repent. And we are going to see that the forgiveness that Jesus offers to those who place their faith in him and the freedom from sin... That Jesus offers. If you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, you're going to see our big idea this morning is this freedom from sin is found through genuine repentance and faith in Christ. So we're in John chapter 8, we're going to begin at verse 31. We're going to see freedom through the truth. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This passage begins by telling us that Jesus is talking to people who have expressed some form of belief in him. Again, you can see that in verse 31, the Jews who had believed in him. Now, Jesus, as he talks to them, shows us that their faith may not be as real as they think it is. Look what he says to them. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In our context today, we might speak of someone who self-identifies as a Christian. And there's a further question of, is their self-identity actually their identity? One author calls the faith expressed here a fickle faith, or at least a potential fickle faith. And this is a theme that we've seen before through the Gospel of John, places like John 2:24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Another author writes, "The reference to being truly Jesus' disciples implies that there is in John's thought such a thing as false or temporary disciples." That is, people who follow a teaching only for a season, like in the synoptic parable of the sower and the soils. So Jesus presents those who claim faith. He presents them with a condition. How do we know that someone is truly a disciple of Christ? What is the mark of genuine faith in this passage? Look at what verse 31 says. If you abide or remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. Genuine faith is marked by ongoing trust in and obedience to God's word. I can say that I'm a Christian until I'm blue in the face. But if I don't place my trust and live out obedience to God's word, then that's all it is, is what I say about myself. But when our faith is real, When our obedience to Christ is true, we are set free by that truth. Notice John introduces here language of enslavement and freedom. And as we have seen before, as we saw with last week when Jesus talked about light and dark... You need light when it's dark. You need freedom. There's an assumption that if you need freedom, it means you've been enslaved. Now, in calling the people to believe and obey his word, and telling them that they will be set free, the crowd responds in verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, this is a really interesting claim. Because if you've read any of your Bible, you know that on one level this is completely false. In fact, at the time when this story is taking place, The Israelites lived under the rule of the Roman Empire. Now, what does this mean? Well, there are some historical sources that say or suggest that the belief of the Jewish person was that even when they were in Babylon, in exile, or in Egypt under Pharaoh, that they, with this pride of self-identity never viewed themselves as slaves, even when in actual enslavement. That's the more generous reading. The one I like more is that they are just in flat denial. It's what we call lying to yourself. And I hope you see that as much things change, they stay the same. And we do the exact same thing. We have this idea of ourselves that may or may not match reality. And so Jesus is going to have to convince the people that they in fact do need freedom and that this is central to their true, sincere belief in him. So let's look at the slavery that Jesus is talking about in verses 34 and 38. Again, if you're following along in your outline there, we have a slavery through sin. Look at verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, Jesus is a smart guy. I think he sees the hardness of heart that they have towards his statement that they need freedom, so he does not debate the issue of whether or not they have ever been enslaved as the nation of Israel. And again, he is looking past the politics and to issues of the heart. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we've seen that before. It's listen up. Listen to what I'm saying. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is saying, don't don't think about the Romans. Don't think about the Babylonians. Don't think about the Egyptians. But if you have committed a sin, you are enslaved to sin. Now, when he says everyone who commits a sin, he really could have just said everyone. (laughs) Because all of us, the Bible is very clear. If you're alive, you have sinned. Romans 3.23, very plain. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if that is true, and all who sin are enslaved to sin, therefore, we are all apart from Christ, enslaved to sin. Again, this is the normal or default position of every person. People are not naturally good. They are not naturally free from sin. They are naturally enslaved to sin, and the Bible is very clear. And if the people won't admit that they are enslaved to sin, then there is no need for Jesus. And if there's no need for Jesus, their faith in him is pretty worthless. But that's where Jesus continues, because if we're all enslaved to sin, if we all sin and therefore all enslaved to sin, the next question is very reasonable. How do we get set free? Because you don't want to stay enslaved to sin. How are we set free? Look at verses 35 and 36. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. This speaks to sort of the cultural order of how people lived in the time of Jesus. So you'd have a household, and and there would be slaves would be considered a part of that household. But they wouldn't have the rights of a son. They wouldn't have the rights of someone in the family. And therefore, the one with the real power is the son. So that's where Jesus then moves To verse 36. So, if that's true, if the Son has the authority in a house, because he is a family member, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Jesus connects this, and it's going to continue on in the rest of the chapter, but he's going to connect this to his identification as the Son of God. So, if you are enslaved to sin, you need the Son to set you free. And Jesus is saying, I am the Son who sets people free. I want you to see in this maybe familiar verse to some of you the guarantee that is made. It's not if the Son sets you free, you have a really good chance. There is a solidness to this declaration that, again, I can find nowhere else in any other philosophy or religion. That if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So, how are we set free by the sun? Well, in. The analogy, we need to be set free because we are enslaved. So the first step of being set free is to admit that you are enslaved. And you see, like I said, the pride or the denial of the people in denying their enslavement as the Jewish people but again, as I said before, the more things change, the more they stay the same, that the same problem still exists today. What keeps us from admitting that we are enslaved to sin? Maybe it is this, this pride that often shows itself as comparative to others. Well, I'll be okay because at least I'm better than that guy. Or I'm definitely better than that guy, so I know I'm okay. Okay. or it's a flat-out denial. And a flat-out denial cannot stand under the truth. It is very clear in the Bible that the Bible believes all people are sinners by nature and by choice. I would add on top of that that it is very clear outside of denial in our experience that we are sinners. I've often said the more you get to know yourself, the worse you you know that you are. (laughs) I, I defy anyone to experience life and not understand that they are not good and that are in need of saving from the sin. Because the more I know myself, the more I understand my sin. The older I get, the more I understand my sinfulness. So the word tells us this, our experience tells us this, but how often do we just flat out deny it or downgrade it or excuse it or say, well, at least I'm not that guy. See, the denial, the excusing, the justification, it's all not speaking the truth about our sin. And the truth is, all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. So that's the first step of finding freedom, is to admit that we need it. And that we are enslaved. And the second is looking to the Son in faith. Again, here the Bible is very clear. Verse 36 So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Bible is clear that the Son, Jesus, is the only one who can set us free. It's not so, if you are enslaved to sin less, then you will be free indeed. That's not what it says. It says if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's at this time where Jesus points the crowd back to their faith and their understanding of the truth that he has just said. Look at verses 37 and 38. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. And that's, this theme is going to continue on. Remember, this is one big speech. This is not all... <laughs> we break it up for the sermon so that we're not here for three hours. But this will come back later. Yet, even though you're of the offspring Abraham, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now we're going to talk about their father next week, so you all have to come back. Make a promise, okay. But... Look at what Jesus says in his evaluation of them. Again, Jesus sees into the heart of people. He has just spoken this truth about their need for freedom, their need that that only he can give. And he says, yet you seek to kill me. This is pointing us towards the cross. Because my word finds no place in you. That's how Jesus can say to them, if you're truly my disciple... You will abide in my word. Here he tells them that they are not abiding in his word. That his words find no place in them. Friends, the call to us is to accept the words of truth that Jesus has said. That his words would find a place in our hearts unlike the people here. the words that speak truth about who we are and who Jesus is. As we close up with some applications, I want to focus on that idea of what are the truths that will set us free from this passage. Truth number one. Genuine faith is marked by a faithful commitment to the truth of God's word. You can call yourself anything you want. But if you're not committed to God's word, then what you call yourself is worthless. And this text is clear that those who are truly Jesus' disciples have a commitment of faith and a commitment of obedience to what he says I've used this before but if you were on trial for being a Christian would there be enough evidence to convict you and that evidence is remaining in the word of God truth number two Apart from Jesus Christ, all people are enslaved to sin. This is a hard truth to bear personally and also in our world, but it is a truth that is clear in Scripture. All people, without exception, are sinners by nature and by choice. All people are enslaved to sin. And just as back then, people today in their pride either view themselves as not enslaved to sin or can flat out deny the fact of their sinfulness in their lives. You can't be set free until you know that truth. Truth number three, freedom and forgiveness is possible through repentance and genuine faith in Christ. Because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And there's a twofold application here of this truth. This is true for those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ for the first time. But it is also a truth for those who placed their faith in Christ many years ago. That the Christian life begins with repentance and faith but the Christian life is also sustained in repentance and faith. That on this side of heaven, we will not truly be free completely from the sin that so easily entangles us. And some of us who, who, who have placed our faith in Christ and belong to him, some of us need to find freedom from sin in our lives today and that freedom comes through confession of sin now for some of us that is confession to God for some of us that may include confession to others that you have sinned against don't be don't go back to the enslavement of sin find freedom through forgiveness and repentance. 1 John 1 9 is very clear. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And truth number four all of these truths are true to us, but the fourth truth is that we are messengers of this truth to the people out in our world. We bring this truth to the people who pretend to follow Jesus or follow him in name only and to the people who flat out deny him in their sinfulness. And those two categories pretty much fit everybody. (laughs) we have the truth that will ultimately set people free. And to use Jesus' metaphor here, are we telling people about the freedom in Christ they can have, or are we content with them living in slavery? If you saw your neighbor in shackles like the slaves in our country's history, you would go over and help them get free. But your neighbor is, in fact, in shackles. Not ones you can see. Not like the cruel shackles of American slavery, but the shackles of sin. And you have the means to show them the way to freedom. To declare to them the truth that will set them free, that God sent his son to live on earth to die and rise again so that all who repent of their sins and believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. We have the message of freedom because it is only through the Son that people are set free. Let me close this morning with something a citizen of Rwanda wrote about their country, looking back at the genocide and looking forward to the future of the country. Quote, confronted with the horror of our history, we have a choice. We can choose forgiveness or we can surrender to a natural reaction and choose revenge. On an individual level, choosing forgiveness is making a conscious decision to live above unimaginable circumstances. Collectively, as a nation, by choosing to forgive, we are looking at a bigger picture, a brighter and more hopeful future for Rwanda. In a similar way, for us to find freedom from our enslavement to sin, we must speak the truth about that enslavement. And we must speak and believe the truth that it is only through Jesus that we are set free. And then we are called to speak that truth to the world and to those around us. Because when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that sets us free. God, that we would, in humility, admit our sin and our enslavement to sin. And God, in that same humility that we would see our need for a Savior and place our faith in Christ, a faith that works itself out in joyful obedience. And God, that we would declare this freedom-giving truth to the world, to our community, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, that they would know the truth and that the truth would set them free. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.